the latest about the vaccines, the FBI, and the fact that it's probably going to get a lot worse in America before it gets any better on this edition of the Doc Washburn Show. Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We're the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and lets you in on the news that traditional talk radio is all too often afraid to talk about. This is episode 208 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. It's Tuesday, August 2nd, 2022. Just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. Also, I will never call Joe Biden president because it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. I will never pretend a man can become a woman. And I will never forget about the January 6th political prisoners most Republican politicians refuse to mention. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburn.com, click on the button that says Become a Patron. Also, please remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Okay, so before I get to the latest about the vaccines, the FBI, and the fact that it's probably going to get a lot worse in America before it gets any better, I need to share with you an actual warning from the FDA. The official Food and Drug Administration about the drugs that adults are foisting upon children to try to turn them transgender. Have you heard about this yet? Okay, this actually came from Sinclair Media, which owns a whole bunch of television stations all over the country. FDA warns puberty blocker may cause brain swelling Vision loss in children. Article from Alex Schimmel. So in July, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration added a warning to gonna gonna. I hate it when they give me a new word. Gonadotropin releasing hormone, GnRH, agonists, commonly known as puberty blockers, indicating there were serious risks for youth who take them. The U.S. FDA identified six cases in females between the ages of 5 and 12 who were taking these drugs, which presented a plausible association between the drugs and pseudotumor cerebri. Pseudotumor cerebri, also known as idiopathic intracranial hypertension, occurs when the pressure inside your skull spontaneously increases, which can cause brain swelling, severe headaches, nausea, double vision, and even permanent vision loss, according to the Mayo Clinic. Now, you'll notice that the FDA is saying their children as young as five years old that are taking these puberty blockers. What does that tell you? So... Here's what an FDA spokesperson said. The agency considered the cases clinically serious and based on these reviews determined that pseudotumor cerebri should be added as a warning and precaution and product labeling for all these drug formulations approved for use in pediatric patients. Although the mechanism by which the drugs 
may lead to development of pseudotumor cerebri has not been elucidated, and patients with it may have a higher baseline risk of developing pseudotumor cerebri compared with children without it. This potential serious risk associated with the puberty blocker drugs justifies inclusion in product labeling. The warning seems to conflict with U.S. Assistant Secretary of Health Rachel Levine's claim that, quote, there is no argument among medical professionals, unquote, that youth access to, quote, gender-affirming care, unquote, such as puberty blockers, is valuable and important. Levine's critics have charged her with conflating opponents of LGBTQ equality with those seeking to limit minors from accessing certain potentially life-altering gender transition therapies. Now, this person they're calling Rachel Levine, actually he's a guy. His mama named him Richard Levine. But he's pretending to be a woman. So here's what he said on Fox News. Opponents of LGBTQ. Stop. Enough. Enough. I don't care what he said. I don't care what he said. He's a freak. He's a head case. So, of course, he's in the Biden regime. Florida Department of Health spokesman Jeremy Redfern, whose agency updated its guidelines earlier this year to restrict minors from obtaining gender transition therapies, told Fox News that Levine's claim that every major medical association agrees offering so-called gender-affirming care saves kids' lives isn't data. He said it's an appeal to authority that is in stark contrast to the best available evidence. The Florida Department of Health is following the evidence. The federal government is following the eminence. The eminence versus the evidence. So, You know, this is a national podcast, and people listen in all 50 states and about 30 other countries, but for those of my listeners in Arkansas, you might recall spring of 2021 when the Arkansas State Legislature passed a law to outlaw this child abuse and Rhino Governor Aza Hutchison vetoed the bill because Walmart told him to. When on Tucker Carlson's show lied about it, Tucker proved he lied about it. So um, this won't change anything. Because this has nothing to do with where the money comes from. You know what I'm saying? It's child abuse. If Asa doesn't realize, realize it's child abuse, he's too stupid to tie his shoes. But it is. It's child abuse. Now, how this freak Levine... get to this place of power in our federal government. Humanevents.com. 
Jennifer Bilek has a brand new article just dropped today. Rachel Levine is a quack promoted by pharma-backed group to normalize disembodiment. And Ms. Bilek says, how does a dangerous man like Dr. Rachel Levine wind up in the White House spewing potentially deadly information to the public about drugs to treat children distressed about their sexed bodies? He was backed by the Victory Institute, which works to get LGBTQ activists into top levels of power in the U.S. According to the group's website, when LGBTQ presidential appointees are empowered, they can significantly influence the policies and direction of agencies and the executive branch to make positive changes for LGBTQ people. Well, they left out the IA++. So the article says, in this instance, push forward gender identity industry policies and laws that harm children and profit the medical industrial complex by promoting disassociation from one's sexed body as progressive. Levine is exactly what the Victory Institute is looking for. And during his stint as Biden's assistant secretary of health and human services, he's worked to press the administration and the nation into accepting the idea that children can change their sex. This, despite findings that show unequivocally the dangers, both of the drugs used to halt puberty and the life-altering, reproductive-ending effects of surgeries. Levine transitioned later in life after fathering children, a lengthy marriage, and a long medical career. Levine, a man with a paraphilia that compulsively objectifies womanhood, reducing their sexed humanity to parts, told the U.S. public on July 18th that kids need to be empowered to change their sex. He touted this as gender affirmation treatment, a euphemism for invasive medical procedures on children's sex, which are known to have harmful and long-lasting effects on their health. The FDA, run by Levine's Department of Health and Human Services only a few weeks earlier, identified puberty blockers carry a risk of brain damage to children. It's not possible Levine, a pediatrician, was unaware of this. These known side effects in adults were reported at least as early as 1996 when women with endometriosis and men with late-stage prostate cancer prescribed the drug were reported to present with the same side effects way back then. Dr. Laidlaw, an endocrinologist in Rockland, California, has spoken about the dangers of these unapproved drugs for children for years Levine's paraphilia, colloquially known as transsexualism, has been rebranded to transgenderism for today's youth to open markets and medical manipulations of sex, normalizing this paraphilia. With the escalating prominence of the men who have it at all fronts of society, along with media promotion of it as progressive, edgy, cool, and part of the human rights movement, serves to drive further investments by elites in clinics to manipulate sex characteristics and assisted fertility treatments. 
that will be needed later in life by children who are now being sterilized and otherwise harmed by these drugs. This industry is a direct outgrowth of the creation of synthetic sex characteristics that mimic women's biology for men to assuage their fetish. Yeah, but you know what? I don't think... I don't think that Levine got that uh, mutilation surgery. You know why? So when you see a full-length picture of a woman and a full-length picture of a man, the men tend to stand with their feet apart and pointing outward for obvious reasons, and the women tend to stand with their feet together, both pointed straight ahead. And so you see a picture of this... uh, Dr. Levine guy who pretends to be a woman. Saw a picture of him recently with um, Karine Jean-Pierre, White House Press Secretary. And sure enough, Levine's feet were apart and pointed outwards. And Karine Jean-Pierre, feet were together, pointed straight ahead. I don't think Levine ever got the, uh, the mutilation Surgery. That's just between you and me now. Just between you and me. So, I want to share with you a um, a troubling, about a minute long, a troubling video from a woman who is a obviously a farmer and she did this video she apparently just got back from a feed store and she was standing beside her um, her SUV outside her home Looked like a nice home, looked like a, a nice yard out back. But um, the video came out a couple of months ago. I just stumbled across it. Somebody shared it on Twitter. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Now, this goes under this this video. It's less than a minute long. goes under the category of what I've told People who listen to this podcast on many occasions, I don't want you to ever tell, ever be able to say, Doc, why didn't you tell us? Why didn't you warn us? Okay? So that would be the category for this video. It's all over Twitter. I guess it's probably on Facebook. I don't have much time to spend with Facebook. Um, but... Um, no, no. Well, I post up to Facebook from time to time, but Twitter is where I do show prep. Everything's on Twitter. And um, but she did the the video on TikTok, and I showed it to my wife. My wife is very concerned about what she the woman says in the video, but she's like, "Well, TikTok's bad, right?" I'm like, "Yeah, TikTok's bad. It's owned by China and." China's made it clear they can get your personal information off TikTok, but 
you know, you can know a lot about one thing and not know about other things. So just because TikTok's bad doesn't mean she's like, oh, no, 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 I believe what the woman's saying. Don't get me wrong. I'm like, okay, yeah, well, I thought so. Anyway, if you or anybody you know is on TikTok, uh, the woman's handle over on TikTok is Owen's Little Red Pills. Owen's Little Red Pills. And so uh, just as a warning, here's what she said. And people being concerned about the gas prices, but what you really need to be concerned about is what your food pricing is about to jump to, okay? Calves and babies are just now being born. Keep that in mind. So the cost to raise them hasn't hit yet. This bale of hay last year was four bucks. Bag of grain last year was six bucks. This trunk full in here last year would have cost me $14. Today, $20 for a bale of hay, $18. For a bag of grain, I got two bales in here. It's fifty-eight dollars worth of food. Last just my chick, just my goats and my horses. Two days. That's it. Wait until the the prices catch up with your slaughter market when we start rendering animals in the fall. Prepare for seventeen dollar a pound chicken, twenty five dollar a pound bacon, thirty forty dollar a pound beef. It is coming. It's not a joke. Please be cautious. Please prepare. Okay. Hope she's not right. But I can't imagine she's wrong. Because the Biden regime is intentionally driving up the price of everything. And uh, reminds me of a talk show host, Jesse Kelly, said recently, which is get yourself a freezer full of beef. Because it's uh, it's going to get a lot worse before it gets any better. Let me um, let me look at a recent article from uh, Derek Holly over at uh, Real Clear Energy. Derek Holly uh, does media relations for uh, something called the Transparency Action Fund, which has a website called Inside Biden's Basement, newly formed nonpartisan advocacy organization. And so the article is entitled, What's Lurking Inside Joe Biden's Basement? He says, the age of Biden has brought America to its knees. As shocking and disappointing as this is, it doesn't come as a surprise to many Americans. This is what Joe Biden promised us on those few occasions when he emerged from his basement to hit the campaign trail in 2020. Skyrocketing gas prices, record inflation, foreign debacles, and even a baby formula shortage. Americans literally face as many crises today. Americans literally face so many crises today that in the wake of the baby formula shortage, an unnamed White House official admitted that senior staff knew about the shortage months before it exploded into national news but didn't inform the president because it wasn't considered a top-level crisis. Think about that for a second. Unnamed political appointees of the White House sat on information about a pending crisis that ultimately led to mothers struggling to find food for their babies because the situation wasn't dire enough to compete with other Biden-era catastrophes. Not only is this an indictment 
of the Biden administration. It's also a warning signal for the American people. Who are these unnamed staffers installed by the president? I'm not going to say that. He's not president. Who are these unnamed staffers installed by the regime at the White House and across federal agencies who have so much power and influence over Americans' lives? Who are the folks put in charge of and responsible for these crises? Some of them, by the way, are the same staffers who have consistently walked back policy pronouncements and offhanded statements made by Dementia Joe on serious issues in international affairs, energy policy, inflation, the Supreme Court, and on and on and on. Who exactly has filled out the thousands of positions in charge of policy, regulation, and oversight in the Biden regime? A new project I am part of called Inside Biden's Basement is determined to find out. My group has started by gathering and analyzing thousands of public records exposing who these officials are, from cabinet officials to the special assistants and senior advisors who advise them, and fill out the ranks of political leadership at federal agencies. Nobody gets a pass. If someone is appointed by the regime in order to advance their policy goals inside Biden's basement and tends to tell you who they are, what conflicts they bring to the government, and what their role is in developing, implementing, and promoting the administration's policies. So far, the results are worse than expected. The most senior ranks of the administration are filled with millionaires, 436 of them, and former lobbyists, 93 of them, who seem immune to the daily struggles of the people they're supposed to be serving. Perhaps this is why Americans are callously instructed to just buy a Tesla when they complain about their pain at the gas pump. These nameless appointees are also the ones cooking up plans to censor and condemn as domestic terrorists, parents who disagree with their radical policies. They are the ones selling $1.6 million in stock from their former employers, while Dementia Joe publicly promotes the company, hint, hint, Secretary Jennifer Granholm. They're the ones determining whether your crisis merits the big guy's attention. Inside Biden's basement also exposes the special interests that have burrowed private tunnels into the basement to advance their extremist agenda. Whether these are foreign-funded entities advancing pro-China policies, activists seeking to eliminate our borders, or militants intent on cutting off our energy supplies inside Biden's basement We'll draw the connections. Stay tuned as we dig deeper and find out what other deep state fixtures and swamp dwellers have found shelter inside Biden's basement. Wow. How about that? So, but they don't link to it. Oh, that's a drag. Wait a minute, 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 wait a minute. They link to the guy's email address. And so if I just copy the part inside Biden's basement.org, maybe I can open it up and, and see what they got real quick. Um, not even gonna lie, fam. This looks pretty cool. Inside Biden's basement.org. 
Uh, and there's a little, little tab that says peek inside. Wow, they got all kinds of stuff in here. Find an appointee staffer or organization, and they will tell you what the um, what the conflicts are and how much they're worth. So you click on White House. Ah, you know what? I wonder how much Karine Jean Pierre is worth. Let's see. More than me, that's for sure. Positions held outside the U.S. government. She worked for Marabou Global Media, whatever that is. Employment assets and income and retirement accounts. Employment agreements and arrangements. Oh, she's she got a book royalty from Harlequin Books? What, does she write romance novels? Karine Jean-Pierre, Really? She can hardly speak the English language. Seriously? Karine Jean-Pierre, she can hardly speak the English language. Exhibit A. Ineffective use. Ineffective use. Really? Really? Ineffective use. I thought it would be ineffective use, but what do I know? Ineffective use. <sighs> um, I don't know if you've noticed, but um, I'm just getting started. We're just scratching the surface on the evening of Tuesday, August 2nd, 2022. So um, we really appreciate our friends, our advertisers, for making it possible for us to do the Doc Washburn Show five days a week. If you try to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage, you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including... Your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online, and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website that puts you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry, Red River experts are still here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has a button that says Explore Payment Options on it. Clicking that button guides you through a few easy questions and then create personalized payment options you have complete control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences, and all the math happens automatically so you can figure out what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom, the dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live, redriveryourway.com. You will be glad you did. All right, let me ask you this. 
Does your financial advisor take the time to listen and get to know you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situations change? When you work with Jonathan Presswood, he focuses on what's important to you. He uses an established process to help you achieve your unique goals, whether that's preparing for retirement, making your money last in retirement, planning your estate or inheritance, preparing for the unexpected, or anything else. Jonathan Presswood can help. Now, what should you do if you leave a job and have a 401k or other retirement plan? Or if you're getting close to retirement or already in retirement, call my friend Jonathan Presswood today. He'll help you create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And he'll partner together with you to help your strategy stay on track no matter what life throws at you. Listen, we can all dream of having a perfect retirement, but how many of us will actually experience it? No matter where you are today, Jonathan Presswood is offering a free retirement analysis to figure out where you'd like to be and what it will take to get you there, and there's no obligation. Contact Jonathan Presswood, a financial advisor with Edward Jones Investments, today at 501-303-4844. Again, that's 501-303-4844. Don't wait. Call Jonathan Presswood today at 501-303-4844. Now, if you're like me, you can't remember phone numbers, go to our website, docwashburnshow.com. Just click on the link to Jonathan Presswood at Edward Jones. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Member SIPC. Thank you again to our advertisers and friends. Jonathan Presswood, financial advisor at Edward Jones. Mitch Ward with uh, RedRiverYourWay.com. Big old car dealership in the middle of the USA. Appreciate y'all for making it possible for us to do what we do here. The great Julie Kelly, new article out at American Greatness entitled The FBI Twice Interfered in the 2020 Election to Sabotage Trump. Now what? She says it could be the whopper of the year. Matthew Olson, head of the Justice Department's National Security Division, solemnly assured the House Judiciary Committee during a hearing last week, quote, I can tell you that in every case, we follow the facts and the evidence and the law, and we do so without regard to politics or ideology, unquote. Olson was responding to a question by U.S. Representative Dan Bishop, Republican North Carolina, about the decision to arrest several men for supposedly conspiring to abduct and assassinate Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer in 2020. Congressman Bishop asked Olson, quote, The alleged Whitmer plot was announced on October 7, 2020, within a month of the U.S. presidential election. How come that was the timing of the FBI's announcement of this plot? Unquote. Of course, Olson refused to explain why, opting instead to commit borderline perjury by insisting the Justice Department turns a blind eye to politics, all evidence accumulated over the past six years to the contrary. But now the two men have been acquitted after defense attorneys convinced a Michigan jury in April 
that the FBI entrapped their clients? The jury deadlocked on two other defendants who face a new trial next week. Carson Bishop's questions, question, that is, demands an answer. And it won't come from a dangerously weaponized Justice Department focused almost entirely on prosecuting Americans who protested Joe Biden's election on January 6, 2021, and with its sights now trained on indicting Donald Trump. But despite Olson stonewalling, the answer to Bishop's question is in plain sight, just as it did with phony claims of Russian election collusion. In 2016, the FBI fabricated a scandal in 2020 aimed at sabotaging Trump right before a national election. FBI authorities did not thwart a kidnapping plot. The agency created a kidnapping plot while simultaneously attempting to duplicate the effort in Virginia against Governor Ralph Northam. Trump heavily criticized both Democrat leaders for sustained lockdown policies, including his April 2020 tweets to liberate Michigan and liberate Virginia. No kidnapping plan existed outside the minds of multiple FBI agents and informants responsible for conceiving and executing these operations with approval from FBI headquarters in Washington. In fact, the men criminally charged did not even know each other before the FBI began stitching the group together in March 2020. The Whitmer kidnapping hoax is another flagrant instance of the FBI interfering in a presidential election. Whitmer and Joe Biden both made the most of the politically fortuitous news blaming Trump for inspiring the alleged kidnappers. On October 8, 2020, in reaction to the arrests, Biden said, and I quote, there is a through line from President Trump's dog whistles and tolerance of hate, vengeance, and lawlessness to plots such as this one, unquote. At a campaign stop the following week in Michigan, Biden had a full-blown tantrum over the plot. He ranted, quote, All President Trump does is fan the flames of hatred and division in this country. What the hell's the matter with this guy, unquote. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer played the role of victim to a sympathetic media Throughout October 2020, Whitner made the rounds on cable and Sunday news programs to accuse Trump of motivating domestic terrorists to, quote, kidnap, put me on trial, and execute me, unquote. Whitmer, in fact, knew of the plot beforehand and was never in any danger. And by the way, Julie Kelly links to the proof on that. So Trump and his team spent days in the final stretch of the campaign, denying the unfounded allegations, the president walked out of an interview with 60 Minutes host Leslie Stahl after she forced the issue in late October 2020. Some data suggests the media onslaught may have succeeded. Polls showed a precipitous drop for Trump in Michigan after mid-October as Michiganders and millions of Americans were voting early for president. Trump will never know how many votes he lost as a result of the damaging headlines, but it's unrealistic to believe the extensive negative coverage had zero impact. And while the FBI was cooking up the Whitmer and Northam kidnapping hoaxes in 2020, the agency was cooking the books on a real scandal 
the Biden family's overseas grift. According to whistleblowers, the FBI moved to quash any investigation into Hunter Biden's financial activities, including his ties to Burisma, the Ukrainian energy company that paid Hunter $83,000 per month between 2014 and 2019, purportedly for serving on its board. Senator Charles Grassley, Republican Iowa, disclosed last week, and I quote, In August of 2020, FBI Supervisory Intelligence Analyst Brian Auten opened an assessment which was used by a team of agents at FBI headquarters to improperly discredit and falsely claim that derogatory information about Biden's activities was disinformation causing investigative activity and sourcing to be shut down, unquote. FBI officials subsequently briefed Senator Grassley and Republican Senator for Wisconsin, Ron Johnson, to warn that any information related to a Senate investigation was a product of a foreign disinformation campaign against the Bidens. News of the briefing was leaked to the Washington Post on August 5th, 2020. Brian Auden, a key FBI figure, figure in the Russian collusion hoax, then buried any future potential probe by placing, quote, their assessment findings in a restricted access subfolder, effectively flagging sources and derogatory evidence related Hunter Biden as disinformation, unquote. That opened the door for Team Biden, Democrats, and the media to dismiss any reporting on Hunter Biden as more election year chicanery by the Kremlin. Reports published in the New York Post shortly before Election Day were quickly designated Russian disinformation by top former intelligence officials, including former CIA Director John Brennan and former Director of National Intelligence James Clapper, two authors of the Russian collusion hoax. The trail of incriminating emails found on the laptop the chiefs claimed in an October 19, 2020 letter has all the classic earmarks of a Russian Information operation. Disinformation operation, I should say. Now, this is the sort of internal warfare that takes down nations or at least tightens the grip of the ruling regime until it successfully strangles any and all political opposition. Republicans now have two legitimate examples of how the FBI not only buried evidence of potentially serious crimes committed by Joe Biden's family and perhaps the candidate himself to protect the Biden-Harris ticket in 2020, but also have evidence of how the agency fabricated other crimes to damage Donald Trump. The latter is not without a human toll. Brandon Caserta and Daniel Harris, the men found not guilty, spent 18 months in jail despite their innocence and now struggle to put their lives back together. Adam Fox and Barry Croft Jr. have been in jail since October 2020 and will withstand another trial beginning August 9th. It's very likely they'll either be acquitted or face another hung jury. Then what? Well, it does not appear that congressional Republicans have any plan to deal with a subversive agency aside from a flurry of sternly worded letters 
and heated television interviews, the same failed strategy the GOP pursued after 2016, which only emboldened the FBI to again play politics in the 2020 election. Some Republican leaders miraculously, infuriatingly, hold unjustified trust in FBI Director Christopher Wray, who hasn't faced a single question about his foreknowledge and involvement in the Whitmer caper. During a Fox News interview on Sunday, Senator Grassley said, I would expect Ray to come up with some concrete program where he's going to be able to tell the 22 members of this committee what he's going to do to take political bias out of the investigations that the FBI is doing, unquote. Ray is scheduled to appear before the Senate Judiciary Committee this this Thursday. But the time for Chris Ray to clean up the FBI's act is long gone. The problem isn't just a matter of leadership, as both the Whitmer hoax and the ongoing military-style roundup of January 6th protesters show the rot of the FBI extends to each of the agency's 56 field offices, combined with other scandals, not the least of which is the FBI's delayed investigation into serial molester Larry Nasser? It's obvious. The FBI is not salvageable. Republicans in the House and Senate must develop a strategy to dismantle the FBI and punish its most egregious offenders if the GOP takes control next year. A free country cannot exist much longer under control of a Praetorian guard that the opposition party is too afraid to confront. The evidence is amassed and verified. The only unknown is what Republicans will do next. Boy, ain't that the truth. I couldn't have said it better myself. That is... um, Julie Kelly over at AmericanGreatness.com, uh, AMGreatness.com, American Greatness. The FBI. I mean, how many times have we had mass shooters and it turns out, oh, yeah, yeah, they were on the FBI's radar. Yeah, the FBI knew about that. Really? Really? Now, let me go back to this whole concept of is it going to get a lot worse before it gets better? And we've got a a column coming up from the Federalist from uh, John Daniel Davidson which uh, I think uh, I owe it to you to share it with you. I absolutely do. Again, thank you so much to our advertisers for making it possible for us to do here what we do five days a week. And I'd like to help you with some health issues. You have migraines, neck pain, back pain, vertigo, acid reflux, eczema, 
problems with your blood sugar, maybe even hay fever. Okay, let's do a little test. Look in the mirror. Does one eye look bigger than the other? Are your eyes off balance? Are your shoulders off balance? Look at a picture of yourself. Are you tilting your head to the left or the right instead of sitting up or standing up straight? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, you probably need to get your atlas adjusted. That's how I got rid of my migraines, neck pain, and hay fever. Let me explain to you how it works because it's the best kept secret in American healthcare. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain, restricting your central nervous system's ability to send impulses to the rest of your body. It can affect your respiratory system, reproductive system, circulatory system, even digestive system. And yes, it can cause migraines, neck pain, back pain, acid reflux, eczema, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar. Do yourself a favor. If you're in Arkansas, call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center 501-279-2009 for a free consultation to see if you need to get your atlas adjusted, because you probably do. If you're outside Central Arkansas, go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, and click on Find a Doctor Near You. And I sure hope you can. Thank you again to my friends and doctors, Dr. J.R. Crabtree and his wife, Dr. Tanya Crabtree at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center. Appreciate y'all. Okay. um, Got this article from thefederalist.com. John Daniel Davidson entitled, Pay Attention to the Dutch Farmer Protest Because America is next. Subtitle. The same climate policies that are set to destroy private agriculture in the Netherlands are eventually coming to America. And here's what John Daniel Davidson says. Americans should start paying closer attention to the ongoing farmer protests in the Netherlands. And he links to a big article In Time Magazine, of all places, Dutch farmers protests dump manure on roads. He said last week, these Dutch farmer protests transformed long swaths of Dutch highways into what looked like a post-apocalyptic war zone. Roadside fires raging out of control, manure and farming detritus heaped across highways, Traffic stalled for miles and massive protests across the country in support of the farmers. Now, why is the Netherlands, of all places, experiencing such unrest? Americans need to understand what's happening over there because the ruinous climate policies that trigger these protests are precisely what Joe Biden and the Democrats have in mind for the United States, specifically Dutch farmers are protesting a government plan to cut fertilizer use and reduce livestock numbers so drastically that it will force many farms out of business. Earlier this month, farmers used, well, earlier last month, earlier in July, farmers used tractors and trucks to block highways and entrances to food distribution centers 
across the country saying their livelihood and way of life are being targeted by the government of the Netherlands, and they more or less are being targeted. The ruling coalition government claims its radical plan pushed by Prime Minister Mark Rutte, who branded the protests unacceptable as part of an unavoidable transition to improve air, land, and water quality. The goal is to reduce emissions of nitrogen oxide and ammonia, which are produced by livestock, but which the government is labeling pollutants, by 50% nationwide within the next eight years. The only way to do that, many Dutch farmers say, is to slaughter the vast majority of their livestock and shutter their farms. The government knows this and admitted as much earlier this year, saying in a statement, quote, the honest message is that not all farmers can continue their business, unquote. Oh, and they also said the farmers have three options, quote, becoming more sustainable, relocating, or ending the business, unquote. I guess they don't have a Second Amendment in the Netherlands. The genesis of the scheme was a court ruling from 2019 that said the Dutch government's plan for reducing nitrogen emissions violated European Union laws protecting its Natura 2000 network of supposedly vulnerable and endangered plant and animal habitats, basically a bunch of EU-governed wildlife preserves. Now, these sites span the EU, covering 18% of the block's land area and 8% of its marine territory. To protect these wildlife preserves, Dutch farmers are being told they must submit to their government's ruinous emissions plan. But the Nature of 2000 preserves are only part of the story. European leaders, such as this rut guy, the Prime Minister of the Netherlands, are environmental ideologues who want to transform global food production and eliminate private land ownership. And this guy sees an opportunity in this court order to reshape agriculture and land use in the Netherlands. Indeed, Rutt, who is a walking embodiment of the World Economic Forum, if there ever was one, is a big proponent of the United Nations Agenda 2030 and its Sustainable Development Goals, which aim to squeeze farmers and ranchers around the world in order to reduce emissions. The policies that flow from these goals, such as drastically reducing the use of fertilizer, contributed to the recent economic collapse of Sri Lanka, which triggered mass protests that toppled Sri Lanka's government and ousted its president, in early July. Last year, Prime Minister Rutt spoke to the World Economic Forum about transforming food systems and land use at their Davos Agenda Week in Davos, Switzerland, announcing that the Netherlands would host something called the Global Coordinating Secretariat of the World Economic Fund Innovation Hubs, whose job would be to, quote, connect all other food innovation hubs, unquote. So translating that from Davos speak to regular English, 
That means agricultural production and the supply of food will be centrally controlled by intragovernmental bodies and so-called stakeholders consisting mainly of the world's largest food corporations and international non-governmental organizations. Private farms and independent farmers will be a thing of the past, supplanted by global bodies making decisions about how much and what kinds of food are produced. So the private sector and the independent farmers will have no place in the future that the UN and the World Economic Forum are planning. Dutch farmers understand this. They know Prime Minister Rutt and his ministers want above all to eradicate their farms and their way of life, but they're not going down without a fight. All of which brings us back to the United States of America. Last week, news broke that congressional Democrats had finally reached a deal on the largest piece of climate legislation in American history. The bill is a tax-and-spend cornucopia of some $369 billion for wind, solar, geothermal, battery, and other industries over the next decade, along with generous subsidies for electric vehicles and incentives to keep nuclear plants open and capture emissions from industrial plants. After pretending to oppose Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer's climate legislation, West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin relented last week, clearing the way for the bill to proceed. Senate Democrats say the bill will allow the United States to cut greenhouse emissions by 40%, below 2005 levels by 2030, matching up nicely with the U.N.'s Agenda 2030. Understand that the Senate bill isn't the end, it's the beginning. Climate activists and ideologues are working at the highest levels to transform not just the global food supply, but the nature of private property and property rights, all in the name of supposedly saving the planet. What Netherlands Prime Minister Rutt and his government are doing to Dutch farmers, Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden are planning to do to American farmers and American industries. So pay attention to the roadside fires and the blocked highways and the mass civic unrest in places like the Netherlands and Sri Lanka because America is next. Now that's John Daniel Davidson, a senior editor at The Federalist. His writings appeared in The Wall Street Journal, The Claremont Review of Books, The New York Post, and elsewhere. And his article at thefederalist.com is entitled Pay Attention to the Dutch Farmer, Protest because America is next. Again, um, I don't want you to ever be able to say, Doc, why didn't you warn us? Doc, why didn't you tell us? I'm trying to. I am trying to. By the way, out of one eye, I've been checking the um, primary election results Republican primary for governor and Republican primary for Senate. And the Senate got up to 57% of the expected vote in, I think, almost an hour ago, and it hasn't budged since then. 
Governor got up to 59% of expected vote in and hasn't budged since then. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? I mean, it um, it really makes you wonder. How is that a thing? I don't know. So, um, I want to update you on some stuff going on with the vaccine. we got still a lot, an awful lot to talk about. However, comma, is that time again. Hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. Hey, brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice, the way you want to, online, and then to have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental United States of America. All right, so for the first time ever, the tweet of the day is from me, and it's response to somebody. So this woman who goes by Mary Mano Sweeney. She says she's a food writer for Freshwater Communication Marketing Professional, former dining editor, Scene Magazine, Cleveland.com, Cleveland Magazine, okay? And, uh, <clears throat> pardon me. Her tweet, she says, Why would they allow 2020 election deniers on the ballot in Arizona Republican primaries, it should disqualify a candidate. She says the election has been certified. All court options and audits have shown Biden won. Hashtag GOP primary. So my response about why they would allow people who allege that the election was stolen in 2020, why they would allow them on the Arizona Republican primary ballots, I answered her, because the First Amendment exists. It's in a thing called the Constitution. You could Google it, click on a, on a link, and read it for the first time. Hashtag welcome to America. <laughs> I crack myself up sometimes. So that is today's tweet of the day, brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. Vaccines, vaccines. Let's see, what do we got here? The great Raheem Kassam over at the National Pulse. Real news and investigations. New article, Dr. Burks, who admitted COVID subterfuge in Trump's White House, says her go-to people were Jared Kushner and Mike Pence. Writing in her book, Silent Invasion, former White House COVID Task Force member, Ambassador Deborah Burks admits that her go-to connections to push pro-lockdown policies in the White House were none other than 
Vice President Mike Pence and President Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner. The National Pulse has previously reported from Burks' book how she admitted to subterfuge in the White House, going so far as to implement changes in policy without authorization and contrary to the Trump White House's instructions. Chapter 10 of her book further explains, quote, Just as I knew that in a pandemic, getting people to change their behavior was very hard, that was true of those shaping the pandemic response as well. Better to leverage those who could help me impact the response than those who resisted me. There was Jared and there was the vice president, and those two men would be my go-to people in the White House then and for the next nine months to move the pandemic response forward, unquote. Throughout the book, Deborah Burks explains how she was pro-lockdown to the extreme, even refusing to attend meeting with those who opposed her perspective. In Chapter 13, Burks admits to her petulance, quote, Somehow I had to cut Dr. Scott Atlas off from any degree of influence he might try to exert on anyone short of the president, whether during my absence or while I was still there. Individually, I contacted Mark Short, Mark Meadows, and Jared Kushner. I communicated clearly to everyone, I won't be in any meetings any longer if Scott Atlas is president of them. If that means a meeting in the Oval Office, it doesn't matter. If it's at the task force, it doesn't matter. If it's at the COVID huddle, I don't want him there, unquote. The news comes as former Vice President Pence increasingly attempts to carve out a role for himself and the conservative movement, with many speculating he intends to challenge President Trump for the Republican nomination for 2024. Earlier in the book, Deborah Deborah Burks admitted to devising a workaround for the governor's reports, where she claims she would reinsert what the White House had objected to, but placed it in different locations. She says she would also reorder and restructure the bullet points so the most salient, the points the administration objected to the most, no longer fell at the start of the bullet points. She said, I shared these strategies with the three members of the data team also writing these reports. Our Saturday and Sunday report writing routine soon became write, submit, revise, hide, resubmit. She says, fortunately... The strategic sleight of hand worked, that they never seemed to catch this subterfuge left left me to conclude that either they read the finished reports too quickly or they neglected to do the word search that would have revealed the language to which they objected, unquote. Ambassador Burks says she was recruited into her role by National Security Advisor Matt Pottinger and was championed for the position by New Hampshire congressional hopeful Matt Mowers. And that is the article entitled Dr. Burks, who admitted COVID subterfuge in Trump's White House, says her go-to people were Jared Kushner and Mike Pence. That's uh, over the National Pulse by the uh, by the great Raheem Kassam. Now, Grassley. Senator Grassley. He's previewing what's coming up on Thursday, the um, 
committee appearance coming up by FBI Director Chris Ray, and here's what Senator Grassley says. Just on Fox News with Trey Gowdy, Sunday night, uh, talking about my investigation of the FBI and the political interference that decides which uh, investigations go ahead and which ones don't. We have Director Ray of the FBI before our committee uh, this Thursday, and I would expect Ray to come up with some a concrete program where he's going to be able to tell the 22 members of this committee uh, what he's going to do to take political bias out of the investigations that the FBI is doing. Well, you know, hope springs eternal, but the great Julie Kelly over at American Greatness responded thusly. She says, it's good of Grassley to expose FBI corruption through new whistleblowers. It's not good to believe that Chris Ray will do anything about it. The Republican Party needs a detailed plan how to dramatically reform or eliminate FBI, preferable, and make it a central campaign issue this year. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. But I uh, I don't really expect that. Um, a lot of these guys really, really, really live in a bubble, you know? And there are things they get and there are things they don't get. And it is a... Uh, Cotton pick and shame. Oh, back on the on the vaccine. If you haven't heard this before, this is from the Texas Senate Committee on State Affairs um, about uh, Pfizer and vaccine trials. It's less than a minute long. It was very important. Listen fast. And have you seen any other vaccine that was put out for the public that skipped the animal test? Never before, especially for children. And as I've what I've read, they actually started the animal test, and because the animals were dying, they stopped the test. Correct, folks. I think that's important to understand there that, that what we're talking about is the American people are now the guinea pigs. This is the test program that's going on. They they didn't do the human testing, and they stopped the animal test because the animals were dying, and then they turned it out for the public. And we are now looking at businesses that want to mandate that this experimental vaccine be given to people as a condition of their employment. And yet we have this death count that continues to rise and be totally ignored. There you go. There you go. They stopped testing animals because the animals were dying. Condition of employment. That sounds familiar. They want you to get the vaccine as a condition of your continued employment. Man, that sounds so familiar. I'm trying to recall... On the tip of my tongue. Oh, wait. I think I actually went through something like that myself. I got to find out if that uh, that legal firm that uh, 
got all those people at hospital all that money for having their religious exemptions uh, denied. I got to find out if they would uh, maybe be interested in a class action suit, former Cumulus employees against Cumulus, because they're, they're a bunch of us. Rand Paul was on Fox News with Brett Bear, a show I do not watch. But the clip came up on social media. He's talking about he's previewing the grilling that he and some others are planning on doing on Dr. Fauci tomorrow. Before we even get to whether the the virus came from a lab, we have to explore, were they doing gain-of-function research? Were they taking viruses, mixing them with unknown viruses, and creating more lethal viruses or viruses that were more infectious or transmissible? I say without question they were doing this. Anthony Fauci says they weren't. Tomorrow we will have the first gain-of-function hearing on Capitol Hill, the first exploration of this topic in two years. A million Americans died, and we have not had one single hearing. Tomorrow we have the first hearing, and I'll ask three scientists, very esteemed scientists, scientists with hundreds of papers, peer-reviewed papers, editors of journals. This is an, an elite group of scientists that will be there tomorrow. I'm going to ask them, was it gain-of-function research that was going on in Wuhan? That doesn't prove it came from a lab, but it proves that dangerous research was happening there and that it could have come from the lab. And my question is, even if we don't know for certain, let's say it's 50-50, that's still still a big probability that it came from the lab. At that point, wouldn't we want to make sure we're controlling? You know, we have restrictions on exporting nuclear technology. Should we have restrictions on exporting uh, DNA technology to communist China? I think yes. God bless him. God bless him. He's doing the right thing. And not a whole lot of people in our federal government are. So I don't know. Did you hear about um, Karine Jean-Pierre? She was asked by Peter Ducey, Fox News, why has the Biden administration decided to build some wall on the Arizona-Mexico border. Remember, um, Trump was trying to get the wall built, and it was not finished when they stole the election from him. And Biden said, I'm not going to build another foot of that wall. Forget it. He wanted a surge of illegals at the border. But now... That they're finding out a lot of these Hispanics are conservative, and, and if they get to vote, they want to vote Republican. Oh, got to build a wall. You knew it happened. You knew it happened. Here we go. Why is the Biden administration building a border wall in Arizona? So um, we are not uh, we are not finishing the wall. Okay, remember, it doesn't matter how ridiculous the lie is. She gets paid. And she'll say what they write down in that book for her to say. It doesn't matter. 
Uh, we are cleaning up the mess the prior administration uh, left behind in their in their failed attempt uh, to build a wall. And I just want to be very, very clear here. On day one, uh, we returned the money, uh, the $8 billion the prior administration took from our military. We gave that back uh, to the military for military families, for schools, for bases. Uh, that's what that money was being used. That's what it was taken away from. And so, again, what we're doing is... You can't believe a word she says, but here's more. Cleaning up the mess that the prior administration has done. But President Biden, when he was a candidate, said there will not be another foot of wall constructed in my administration. So what changed? We are not finishing the wall. I mean, she could walk outside in the Rose Garden. It could be pouring down rain, and she'll say it's not raining. If... Walls work in that part of Arizona. Is this the administration trying to get migrants to cross somewhere else, like in Texas? What What is the plan? We are not finishing a wall. We. Are- yeah, you are. You're also playing the part of a clown. I mean, it's it's Washington's version of Baghdad Bob. Uh, the Americans are not rolling into Baghdad. Yeah, yeah, that's them right down the street there. Yeah, sure they are. They are cleaning up the mess that the prior administration made. What, do they leave some building materials lying around? <laughs> the mess they made. Uh... We are trying to save lives. This is. Uh, no, you don't care about that. This is, what is, this is what the prior administration left behind that we are now cleaning up. What did they left behind? She never says. By finishing the wall. Is this? We are not finishing the wall. So how much are you going to leave undone yourself? What kind of mess are you going to leave for the next guy? By filling in, finishing? We are not finishing the wall. Yes, you are, you prevaricating liar. Filling in. Uh, is Is this racist? Because in 2019, when the former guy was proposing a wall, you said uh, that it was his racist wall. So how is this any different? I'm just having a hard time understanding how this is any different. I'm not even sure how you get to your first question. To the- That's because you're stupid. This question that you just asked me, I will say this. A border wall, I'm, I'm, I'm answering your question. A border wall is ineffective use of tax. Ineffective use? Taxpayer dollars, so it's wait. Ineffective use. Seriously, I'm sorry, I can't listen anymore. She doesn't know how to speak English. A border wall is ineffective use. I ain't gonna lie, fam. I mean, I just um. I just can't anymore. Not with her. No. No. I can't do that anymore. I mean. A border wall is ineffective use. Please. Please. Woman, please. Seriously? A border wall is ineffective use. I mean, what do you think when you hear something like that? (sighs) 
See, that's what happens when you hire somebody based on the boxes she checks as opposed to any possibility of competence. Um, I don't know if you all have noticed, but a lot of what passes for liberal political thought is just straight-up racism. Have you noticed that? Um, black folks who are liberal call black conservative folks racist terms that I haven't heard white folk call black folk in many decades. Okay? Matter of fact, um, you know, growing up in the South, my parents explained to me that the N-word was a bad thing. And if you heard somebody say that, then that was bad. And we don't use talk like that. Okay? And, you know, uh, from time to time, I would hear that at school or whatever. And I would just think, well, they don't know any better. Bless their hearts. Their parents must not have taught them any better than to use that word. But a word that sometimes black liberals use about black conservatives, I never heard a white person use. And that word is coon, like short for raccoon. I don't know what, where that comes from. Now, now this guy on MSNBC, this black liberal named Ellie Mistal, um, well, he, he goes about it a little bit different way. Here it is. A close election in Georgia because Walker is has the backing of the Republicans. He's talking about Herschel Walker, guy who's running for the Republican nomination for Senate down there. And lo and behold, Ellie Mistal on MSNBC has figured out that a guy running for a Republican nomination actually has some Republicans backing him. Now, that, that, that must have taken some deep research. I don't know how you'd figure that out, but anyway. Now you ask, why are Republicans backing this man who's so clearly unintelligent, who so clearly doesn't have independent thoughts, but that's actually the reason? Now, see, the thing, and this is something you find, too, liberals often project their own mindset onto other people. The reason he doesn't like Herschel Walker is because he does have independent thoughts. He's gotten off the Democrat plantation, as it were. But anyway, here's more. Walker's going to do what he's told. And that's what Republicans like. That's what Republicans want from their Negroes. Did you get that? Do I need to run that by you again? And that's what Republicans like. That's what Republicans want from their Negroes. As if Walker really doesn't have any capacity for independent thought. As if he's a slave. That's what this is. This is straight-up racism. To do what they're told. And Walker presents exactly as a person who lacks independent thoughts, lacks an independent agenda, lacks an independent ability to grasp policies. The thing that's bothering this knucklehead is that he does grasp the policies and he does understand 
that the Democrat Party is not looking out for the little guy, white, black, brown, yellow, red, whatever. And that's what's, that is what's upsetting this guy. Now, Herschel Walker, Herschel Walker's response was, I think, much better than mine would have been in a similar situation. Um, this guy, I wish we had somebody running for senator like this guy in our state. Good morning. You know, a lot of people have been asking me to say something about the man on MSNBC that called me the N-word. Here's what I got to say about that. Shame on MSNBC and shame on him. I'm going to pray for both of them because they need Jesus. When I saw what he said, it reminded me of the differences between myself and my opponents. Senator Warnock and the left-wing crazy that believe America is fundamentally a bad country full of racist people. They want to divide us, turn us against each other. We have our problems, but we can solve them together. You know, this is a good country, full of good people. With God's help, we're going to bring the people of Georgia back together. Let's make this a great day. God bless. So what's wrong with that? That's a good man. Somebody called him the N-word. He said he needs Jesus. <laughs> Herschel Walker. God bless him. That's a good man. There, there are some good people actually running for office. And he's clearly one of them. Uh, another one is U.S. Representative Kathy McMorris Rogers, who represents extreme eastern Washington state running for re-election. Putting America first in health care means putting patients in charge of making their decisions, uh, trusting people to make the best decisions for themselves when it comes to their health care. So that's what putting people first, and it certainly means opposing what we continue to see this drumbeat for a one-size-fits-all socialized medicine in the United States of America. That's not the future that we want in the United States of America. It means building upon what President Trump and the Trump administration started with price transparency. I believe that this is fundamental to the to reforming our health care system and putting back the, the patients and the doctors in charge of their health care. Price transparency, which would require hospitals to put forward the, the prices of the treatment before you get that treatment. It would mean that there would be competition in the marketplace, and that's part of bringing down the overall cost. It certainly means opposing what Speaker Pelosi is moving forward right now. What we see her doing is government price controls, for example, when it comes to prescription drugs. All that means is that there's going to be fewer cures, fewer treatments. It's going to make us more dependent upon China for the future of prescriptions. Yeah. And the ruling regime likes it that way. The ruling regime likes it that way. What's going on with education? 
Education Choice Activist Corey DeAngelis. Democrats have to make a decision now, and Republicans, if they're smart, they'll make the Democrats make that decision. Republicans are in a win-win situation on the issue of education, and look, this polling is a sea change. Even though it was only about a three percentage point advantage overall, for Republicans to even be close to Democrats on education, this is a seismic shift in what we've seen for decades. Democrats have always been up, or for a long time at least, on the issue of education. So for it to even be close, it would be an important story, but for Republicans to be up in two polls over the past couple of months from left-leaning sources on the issue of education, this doesn't look good for Democrats in the midterms, and look, if the Republicans want to give a gift to the Democrats, they won't talk about education. They won't touch it like they've done for far too long. If they're smart, though, they'll lean into this just like we saw with Glenn Youngkin in Virginia, who cracked the code. This is the blueprint for success going forward. Education, freedom, parental rights and education, school choice, these are all political winners. And at the same time, coming out against parental rights and education after the past two years in particular is becoming a form of political suicide. So hopefully politicians from all parties pick the side of the parents. Yeah. One would hope. You saw what happened in Virginia last year, didn't you? Glenn Youngkin was not supposed to be elected governor. But when Terry McAuffle, the Democrat nominee, said, hey, we need to uh, we need to keep parents out of the business of affecting uh, curriculum, that's it. That's it. You know, Pelosi uh, went to Taiwan. Apparently, it's all part of this insider trading thing. The big, semi, the biggest semiconductor industries are in Taiwan, and uh, apparently, her husband is deeply invested. Oh, speaking of her husband, uh, Jesse Waters on Fox on Tuesday night said more info is coming out about Paul Pelosi's drunk driving arrest. Um, apparently he was three sheets to the wind, also had some kind of drug in his system. And, and the person in the other car was really banged up, injured pretty badly. And we still don't know if anybody was in the car with Paul Pelosi, but what we do know is that his uh, appearance in court is for Wednesday morning while his wife is out of the country. Seems like she might have wanted to have been there. But maybe not. Maybe maybe he's embarrassing her. Think that's a possibility? So anyway, she's out of the country, and there's a guy named John Kirby. That's Admiral John Kirby to you. National Security Council Coordinator for Strategic Communications, John Kirby, who threw Taiwan under the bus. Repeatedly said that we oppose any unilateral changes to the status quo from either side. We have said that we do not support Taiwan independence. And we have said that we expect cross-strait differences to be resolved by peaceful means. We have communicated this directly. Oh, I see. I see. So, 
So John Kirby, he had the misfortune of taking a question from uh, Peter Ducey. John, something you just said is not consistent with what we were told last year. You're saying that you've always known there was a small number of al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. President Biden said, what interest do we have in Afghanistan at this point with al-Qaeda gone? Yeah, I mean, in a major way, al-Qaeda was not playing a... No, wait, let me let me finish. They weren't playing a major role uh, in in operations uh, or resourcing or planning in Afghanistan. But, Peter, I, I know specifically, because I was at a different podium a year ago, and we talked about the fact that al-Qaeda had a presence in Afghanistan, but small and not incredibly powerful or, or, uh, or potent. And I think, again, without getting into numbers, we would still assess that to, to be the case. So we know that the Taliban was harboring the world's most wanted terrorist. You guys gave a whole country to a bunch of people that are on the FBI most wanted list. What did you think was going to happen? Oh, shots fired. Shots fired. Press secretary down. I take issue with the premise that we gave a whole country to terrorist groups. That's exactly what you did. And you know it. I mean, again, I'd, 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 I'd encourage you to ask. The world's number one terrorist. How is that not giving a country to a, a terrorist sympathizing group, uh, if not giving them permission to have terrorists just well, sit on a balcony? The question, I mean, Peter, the way you asked that, it makes it sound like we owned Afghanistan. You did a year ago. It wasn't our country. Um, it was an independent sovereign state. It never was. As soon as, we, as soon as we left, they folded. It never was an independent sovereign state. And he knows this. And the president made a bold decision to end a war that had been going on for 20 years. Because- and a bold decision to leave as many Americans over there as possible. Not to mention the Afghans that helped us. Because he believed then and still believes now that our national security interests are best met by meeting the threats of today, not the threats of 2001. And uh, uh, we, you know, I don't want to relitigate the whole war here, but uh, obviously no one anticipated the Ghani government to fall as fast as it did. Um, but we said at the time. That's not true. Your intel warned you. That as we depart Afghanistan, we're going to keep vigilant. We're going to stay ready. And we're not going to let Afghanistan become a safe haven for terrorists who threaten our homeland. And this past weekend, we proved that case precisely. But So now that you know that the Taliban is not living up to the part of the deal that they made with the U.S. to not let Afghanistan be a place that terrorists feel like they can be safe, what are you going to do about it? Well, that gets to Peter's question. I'm not going to telegraph uh, decisions that haven't been. Yeah, right. Not going to do anything. Not going to do anything. Uh, By the way, breaking news as we're doing a live stream on Tuesday evening out of Pinal County. Arizona. Republican National Committee Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel and Republican Party of Arizona Chairwoman Kelly Ward released the following statement regarding ballot issues in Pinal County, Arizona. 
During Arizona's primary elections, the RNC and Republican Party of Arizona's Poll Observer Program documented and reported multiple failures by Pinal County's elections administrator, including 63,000 mail-in ballots delivered to the wrong voters and multiple Republican heavy precinct locations running out of ballots. This is a comprehensive failure that disenfranchises Arizonans and exemplifies why Republican-led efforts for transparency at the ballot box are so important. Pinal County Elections, Elections Director David Frisk should resign immediately. So, uh, again, reminds the old Talking Heads song, same as it ever was. Same as it ever was. A little bit of good news. Molly Hemingway over the Federalist reporting Republican primary voters picked John Gibbs to represent them in District 3 race in Michigan, ousting incumbent Peter Meyer who voted for red flag laws, Biden spending bills, impeachment, and other items unpopular with voters. So that's good. So that's good. Now, Peter Ducey, on the warpath over there at Fox, asked White House Press Secretary in training, Karine Jean-Pierre, about China threatening Nancy Pelosi. You know they threatened to shoot her or jet down out of the sky. You realize that, right? Especially if she was accompanied by military jets into Taiwan, which China ridiculously claims is their country, which, of course, it never was. And just one more. It's been three days now since a Chinese official publicly threatened to murder Speaker Pelosi. Where is the president coming out to respond to, at the very least, say, don't do that? Well, first, we've talked... Kirby was just here talking about how... Um, I have not seen those reports, so I'm just... She's not seen those reports. Like, she doesn't realize if they shot her plane out of the sky, they'd be murdering her because she has the IQ of a doorknob. He's getting ready to explain to her, you know, about shooting her plane down. Oh, that! Well, they say they were going to maybe shoot down her plane, but they would, oh. it would be within their rights to shoot okay. down her plane. Well, oh, okay, right. She's too stupid to realize that equates murdering somebody when you shoot the plane down that they're flying in. We have talked about that. We have said that there's no need for this type of saber rattling. It is unnecessary. Uh, the president has been very clear. There's been no change uh, in the uh, One China policy. Uh, we continue to support the Taiwan Relations Act. Uh, what we are seeing uh, from uh, from uh, you know what we're talking about right now, and to be clear, uh, the speaker has not confirmed, as you heard from my colleague just moments ago, uh, that she is going to Taiwan. It has she was lying. She knew she was going. It's not been confirmed. Uh, and yeah, it was confirmed. She knew. And, uh, you know, the history of this, of congressional members going to Taiwan, is not uncommon. It is something that has happened in the past. Uh, and, uh, and so, again, nothing has changed, and uh, the president has made that very, very clear. Now, three days earlier, Three days earlier, she was talking about the threats, and then she's acting like, well, I haven't heard those reports. I don't know what you're talking about. 
Thanks, Green. An official who is associated with Chinese state media is suggesting that if Speaker Pelosi tries to go to Taiwan, her plane could be shot down. Does the president have a response to that? You know, I've been asked about, I know you're asking specifically about uh, uh, the rhetoric that we're hearing from China, but as it relates to uh, the speaker's speaker's, uh, travels, uh, it's something that we're just not going to speak to. Right now, that's a hypothetical. So three days later, Ducey was coming back saying, you know, is the... uh, is the president going to say anything about China threatening to murder Pelosi? Oh, I didn't hear about that. What are you talking about? Uh-huh. Pitiful. Pitiful. Peter Ducey on the case. Ask Jean-Pierre, White House Press Secretary, about the so-called Inflation Reduction Act, which, of course, will heighten inflation. It will not reduce anything. Thanks, Green. Is President Biden thinking about pulling his support for the Inflation Reduction Act? No. Because he promised it wasn't going to make, it wasn't going to raise taxes on anybody making less than $400,000 a year, but the Joint Committee on Taxation says that is not true. Well, that is incorrect. Oh, well, we say it's wrong. Yeah, you also said inflation wasn't going to hang around very long either, didn't you? Didn't you? Um, More about our corrupt FBI. Now, uh, do you remember a guy named John Ratcliffe? John Ratcliffe was a longtime Republican congressman from Texas. And President Trump... Picked him to be director of national intelligence. And he's a good guy. And he had the bona fides. He had the experience to be DNI. So John Ratcliffe goes on, I think it was uh, Sunday Morning Futures with uh, Maria Bartiromo. Talk about Adam Schiff and the FBI. And it went something like this. The hope was that Chris Ray at the FBI would move away from the politicization at the at the FBI. Uh, but this this whistleblower complaint um, very clearly on his watch, uh, the names have changed, but the allegations are the same that these FBI agents um, were attempting to influence the outcome of the uh, 2020 election uh, by suppressing derogatory information about Hunter Biden and potentially Joe Biden, and. Maria, here's what's important about this for your viewers to understand is this is more than just about a two-tiered system of justice, about FBI agents being able to lie and get away with it when the American people don't. People need to understand that when we talk about our intelligence authorities, it is the FBI that is the primary domestic authority for investigating and leading to the prosecution of, of election influence and election interference. It's really a problem when the agency that is that is responsible for investigating those things is engaged 
engaged in those things. And so I, I heard the conversation about, you know, a hearing on Capitol Hill is I would expect Republicans to be focusing with, with Director Ray on whether or not, you know, his FBI uh, agents were engaged in election influence and election interference, you know, at a time where he was publicly backing me and uh, Attorney General Barr. You remember, as you pointed out, you played that clip where I very clearly came out and said, look, Adam Schiff is making this information up. Um, there is no Russian disinformation involved here. It is the Hunter Biden's laptop and the, and the investigation is real. And that has proven to be true. Christopher Ray backed that up with a public statement along with, with, with the FBI director. Uh, I mean, with the attorney general. But now we're finding out that there were FBI agents that were doing exactly the opposite and saying exactly the opposite and suppressing that, uh, that intelligence. Uh, I would expect that to be uh, the subject of much discussion on Capitol Hill this week. So maybe Adam Schiff was working with the FBI to push this narrative. Well, I think that's one of the reasons those investigations, since Democrats have been in control of Congress, none of these things have happened, which is why I think a Republican-held Congress can finally get answers to this for the American people, and they should. Yeah. Yeah, they should. They should, so we'll see. Um, There's a lot of work to be done. There's an awful lot of work to be done. There's a guy named Benny Johnson who has a great podcast. And he had Cash Patel on recently. Now, I don't know if you are familiar with Cash Patel. He worked for Devin Nunes, great conservative Republican congressman out of California, before he got a job being chief of staff for uh, Secretary of Defense Chris Miller late in the Trump administration. This this guy, Cash Patel, is great. Anyway, um, Benny Johnson had him on his, his podcast recently and asked him this question. And this is this is all about January 6th, and this is a, a bombshell. I don't know if you heard it anywhere else unless you watch Benny Johnson's podcast. But here we go. So the final question I have for you, Cash, is your roadmap for members of Congress. We know they come on the show. We know their staff watches. We have some dear and wonderful friends in Congress. You worked with Devin Nunez to do probably the most important congressional work that the right has done in a decade or a or this part of the uh, 22nd century with the deconstruction of the Russiagate. How do... Republicans in Congress, follow in your footsteps and continue this work. All right, good question from Benny Johnson. Cash Patel's answer. It's pretty simple, and you're right. We have so many great allies in Congress that can do this work. We need the Judiciary Committee to investigate the FBI and Hunter Biden. We need the Foreign Affairs Committee to investigate Hunter Biden and Joe Biden's dealings with the Ukraine, China, and Russia, and look at those contracts. We need the House Administration Committees, that's now we're getting technical, to investigate the January 6th Committee's approach to this unprofessional and unlawful possibly investigation of the events surrounding January 6th and who was paid what to provide documents and testimony. That's I always go back to that. Everybody that goes up and testified, everybody that provides something, were you paid by, I'm not saying they were paid by Congress. 
what outside entities, what fusion GPSs of the world were acting, what Mark Elias's law firms of the world were involved in these witnesses and bringing them forward. Did they pay for your $600,000 attorney bill? Those are things that impact upon the credibility and the truthfulness of someone's representations before Congress in America. I hope they investigate those groups um, to no end because as John Derma showed us, you can get the banking records of the DNC and their law firm, and they never lie. Aha. Fascinating. So Benny Johnson comes back with a follow-up question for Pash, for Cash Patel. Okay, just a really quick follow-up there, very short. What do you mean the legality of January 6th committee? If it was found illegal in its constitution, as Peter Navarro says, what would that mean for the people who have been found in contempt? Now, what a great question. Because when I heard this, before I even heard Cash Patel's answer, something came to me. The fruit of the poison tree. Here we go. Mm. Wow. I, you know, that, that could be an interesting legal conundrum for a lot of people because if, you're, if you invalidate the committee, then technically their subpoenas have been invalidated and anything that would flow from it should be invalidated by a federal judge. So that's why I'm saying I want to, because I've never heard of a, of a, this is not a bipartisan committee. Remember, they kicked off the Republican members and installed their own appointees for the first time in United States history. But no one's able to challenge that because we don't right yet have the majority. So that's why that investigation of the committee needs to occur um, on a parallel track with the things we talked about. And someone needs to take that to federal court. Maybe Steve Bannon's the right vehicle because you can't take something to court unless and until we call it's become right. That is, there's been a legal decision on the matter. Now, unfortunately, Steve's been adjudicated guilty. He has the appellate process, and he can also bring in the the, the construction of the January 6th committee uh, before the federal courts. Okay. All right. So Benny Johnson has a second follow-up for Cash Patel. So you're saying if they say this is illegally constituted, then everything that came from it will then a, a judge can essentially nullify. All right, very good. Cash Patel response. Yeah, it's like a bogus search warrant. It doesn't matter what comes after it. If you found the guns and the drugs and the goods and all the criminal activity, the fruit of the poisonous tree, as we call it, if you lied about getting your search warrant, everything else goes out the window. Do you realize this? Why Steve Bannon is not shaking in his boots? Because they're going to appeal. And probably get the whole January 6th committee thrown out. Because it's bogus. It's bogus. So, Deborah Hine, American Greatness, has a new article out. CDC colluded with big tech to censor Americans who criticize the COVID jabs. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention colluded with big tech monopolies to censor users. including dissenting medical doctors and scientists who criticized the experimental COVID-19 vaccines, a trove of internal communications obtained by American First Legal Reveal. The CDC released 286 pages of documents to the group in response to a Freedom of Information Act request. America First Legal sent a press release that the records reveal the extent to which the Biden administration 
is willing to engage in unconstitutional and otherwise unlawful activities in total disregard for the rights of American citizens. Prominent vaccine skeptics like Dr. Robert Malone, virologist Adam Gartner, feminist author Naomi Wolf, and journalist Alex Berenson, Emerald Robinson, and Daniel Horowitz were banned from the social media platform Twitter for contradicting the Biden regime big pharma narrative on the mRNA and adenovirus DNA vector genetic products. Berenson was banned from Twitter almost a year ago after reporting accurately that the jabs weren't working as promised. Do you know that? You might want to look at this. You might want to look at this article over at amgreatness.com. Deborah Hine, H-E-I-N-E, CDC colluded with big tech to censor Americans who criticize the COVID jabs. Another article by Deborah Hind at amgreatness.com you might want to look at. 22 state attorney generals, pardon me, state attorneys general, sue Biden regime over threat to withhold nutrition assistance from schools that don't submit to radical LGBTQ policy. See, what you got to understand is these people are evil. The people who stole the election are evil. Um, now, Mike Davis, former chief counsel for nominations, U.S. Senate Committee on the Judiciary and law clerk for Justice Gorsuch, on Twitter is pointing out that Speaker Pelosi and Senator Schumer are building their own army of federal prosecutors. How is it constitutional for federal prosecutors to report to Congress? And federal prosecutors manage law enforcement officers, not vice versa. Dangerous precedent. And as a link to a job opening, usajobs.gov, where these heads of the Democrat Party in the House and Senate are putting out there that they're going to hire some prosecutors to work there in Congress. Making anywhere from one hundred forty-five to one hundred eighty-six thousand dollars a year. That's messed up. That is messed up. It's unconstitutional. But again, these people are evil. No way around it, Holmes. No way around it. Natalie Winters, the great Natalie Winters of the National Pulse, revealed Pelosi-linked lobbyists are pushing China's social credit system for American citizens. Oh, yeah. Do you know about that? Ant Group, a, play, a payment platform used to implement so-called vaccine passports and a social credit system in China, has retained a number of American lobbying firms, including some with ties to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, former President Obama, and failed presidential candidate Senator Mitt Romney. Ant Group is an offshoot of the Chinese company Alibaba, previously flagged by the U.S. State Department as a tool of the Chinese Communist Party and crucial to the regime's buildup of technology, facilitated surveillance, and social control. Ant Group also owns Alipay, a digital payment platform used by Beijing to institute vaccine passports, which have been used to render citizens unable to leave their houses and forced into quarantine. I want to look at that one too. 
Over the nationalpulse.com, article is entitled Revealed, Pelosi-linked lobbyists are pushing China's social credit system for American citizens. Yeah, that's jacked up. That is jacked up. Oh, the postmillennial.com reports suspect in Kavanaugh assassination attempt identifies as trans woman. According to court filings, Nicholas John Roski, 26, goes by Sophie on Reddit and is identified as MTF or male to female. The only picture they have is of the guy with a crew cut looking like a guy. But I guess that's okay then. I guess it's okay that he tried to uh, kill a Supreme Court justice and bugged out at the last minute because he's uh, identifying as transgender. So I guess that makes him a protected group, don't you know? World Economic Forum says it is time to look beyond private vehicle ownership. Do you know that one? Over at humanevents.com, article by Ari Hoffman. I'm trying... I'm trying to get stuff out here to let you know about stuff so you won't ever be able to say, Doc, why didn't you warn us? Why didn't you tell us? So I appreciate everybody that um, listens to the live stream. I appreciate everybody that... uh, that downloads the podcast, and we really, really appreciate our advertisers, our friends who make it possible for us to do this. Mitch Ward at Red River, John the Presswood, and, of course, Justin Minton and Arkansas Cervical Center. Appreciate y'all. You've been listening to Episode 208 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, The Views and Opinions Expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us, and we love them. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansur's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building. Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansur Sempier the Tenth. And that's the way it is. Tuesday, August second, twenty twenty two.